For unto us a son is given. If you want to turn to Isaiah 9, we're going to look at that passage here in just a bit. The uh, kind of a pre-Christmas, we looked at uh, chapter 7 of Isaiah last week, looking at the manual passage, trying to understand a little more depth of what Isaiah 7.14 was talking about, along with Matthew 1.23, which tells us that this Emmanuel final fulfillment is in Jesus. Uh, God with us is what that term used. So, so today we're going to look at another familiar scripture that you see on Christmas cards, I guess sometimes, uh, uh, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. But obviously we need to go back a little bit. Context, context, context. Got to figure out where we are here in Isaiah. Again, in that chapter 7, God's promise to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Through the Davidic covenant, and we'll hit that a little bit harder here in, in just a few slides, and then ultimately the Messiah, which fulfills this Davidic covenant. But it also reveals that many of Israel's leaders are going to reject Yahweh. You know, historically, being a, a Hebrew or a Jew uh, has its challenges. Uh, they had uh, the truth of Yahweh. Uh, we, we looked at that with the kids, with the, the glory and the, the law coming and all this wonderful stuff. But yet they had all these wonderful things and miracles and but. They were sometimes, as God said uh, in Hosea, stiff-necked people. <laughs> Didn't always follow what they were supposed to do, and especially the leadership was always a problem, um, especially in the northern tribes. So chapter 8, God reveals to Isaiah that because the majority of Israel is going to reject him, he's going to become a stumbling block to them. Um, another way of saying that, he's, he's going to really annoy them. Prophets are good at that. That's one of their spiritual gifts is the gift of annoyance. They go and tell people to repent, you're not doing well, and most people don't like to hear that. Um, you know, you think about it in your own lives. If you're a believer, you, be, you came to believe some time, right? And that time is when you realize you were guilty. And then when you know you're guilty and your relationship with God is not there, that there's a severed relationship because God is holy and you are not, it all depends on kind of where your heart is and whether or not somebody telling you repent makes you feel good or worse. You know, if you go, you know, you see, I suppose this used to be that way. If you go to Chicago, you can go to downtown and then there'll be street preachers there telling people to repent. And they're a little quirky, I think. Um, but, but again, people listening, like most people just go by because they don't think there's anything they need to be repent from, right? You know, isn't that the kind of the, the theology of the age? Well, I'm pretty good you know we all most likely go to a better place you know and, and there's really no introspection uh, uh, that I think the spirit tries to give us that you know we we fall short of the holiness of our God and there's there's a solution and of course that's what the repentance is all about so when when he says this in chapter 8 that he's trying to call mostly the leadership but all the people back to Yahweh you need to repent because that's one of the great promises of God that if you are truly confessing your sin that he will always forgive you every time that's a promise you say well what prayers will God always answer he'll always answer that one um, not if your heart's not in it you know I, I think it's always that are in, and who knows whether your heart's in it I would assume God in you um, we can fake lots of things right but we're not going to fake fake it to God and you see this in, in chapter 8 here 11 through 22 you can read through those on your own, um, the stumbling block idea. You see it 
in verse 14, and the Lord of hosts will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Israel. You see this, that seems like the Lord's going to be a going to be a stumbling rock to them, you know, because that's what happens. And, and Jesus kind of hits it. Everyone who falls on that stone, he's talking about himself, will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And we'll hit this when we get in the Sermon on the Mount in January. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You got to realize that you're poor in spirit before you'll look to see how I get rich in spirit. And there is that crushing. It is, you know, the idea that you, it's not that God's mean. It, he loves you. You think about it in any way. He, he looks at us and says we fall short of him and we don't have eternal life. So he does something so we can look at ourselves as guilty and then give the solution that we can now, now we can follow him. So this, this stumbling block who is Jesus either is the one who crushes your spirit to build it back up in him or is the one you stumble over and never look for the truth. And there were all kinds of different people in Isaiah's day, Jesus' day, and our day. You know, how, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? You know, sometimes we turn him into something we like. You know, well, well that's okay to some extent. But he's not Santa Claus, you know. That's, he's, he's got a lot of depth to him, and we need to listen to him and what he says. So, Verse 17, we, and we see this in a lot of Isaiah's theology. You see it in Jeremiah too, kind of played out. Uh, I will wait for the Lord. This is Isaiah and his uh, uh, people who follow Yahweh, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. I'm going to wait. I'm going to hope. This is not a good time, uh, but we're still going to go through this because this is what's called the remnant, focusing on Yahweh no matter what happens. You know, we, we tend to, you know, what happens when a, when a nation or a people goes through suffering? Do they turn away from God or do they get closer to Him? And what happens in your life when you go through suffering? Do you turn away from God or do you get closer to Him? And we all know Isaiah's not going to say, well, you know, I'm with God. I'm a remnant guy. Uh, I, when I go through suffering, it doesn't bother me a bit. You know, he's not saying that. I mean, read Jeremiah. They don't call him the weeping prophet because he's smiling all the time. He went through some really tough times. So it's, it's okay to feel bad when you're going through suffering. It's how, where is your focus? Where is your hope? And sometimes, for some people, I would assume, you know, you read of the Cory Ten Booms and the Diedrich Bonhoeffers who got put in prison camps because they tried to help the Jewish people out of the Holocaust. Their only hope they had left was eternal life. Well, that's kind of a good hope, isn't it? You know, they, Corey Ten Boom said it well. She said, you think of things differently when you're about to die than if you think you're going to live for a long time. And I think that's true, you know. That's why young people are usually stupid. Um, just making sure you're still awake. I'm just kidding. I mean, obviously, the wisdom goes at different ages. I don't mean that. But you do that. I mean, if you're my age, you look back when you're in, your, in college, you're like, you got the whole world whole time, everything in front of you, you know. And when you get, what do they call it, over the hill, which I think now is 39 and a half, <laughs> if I get my, my ages right here. Um, but again, what, are, what is our hope in? You know, tomorrow's never promised, folks. Just hope in the day you have. You know, Jesus kind of said that, right? 
But back to Isaiah here, he, he's going to hope no matter what he goes through. And that's why the Old Testament certainly shows us this. The, the New Testament certainly also shows us this, that it really is what's the main thing in your life. Is the main thing the, the getting good things or is the main thing the one who gives the good things? I'll talk about this a little bit in the welcome next is this coming Sunday uh, after Thanksgiving. But don't when you go through Thanksgiving, just a little bit of advice. Don't focus so much on what you're thankful for, although that's important. Focus on who you're thankful to. You know, the main thing. And then, you know, focus on what he gives you. And uh, just a hint that person's supposed to be God that you're thankful for. Um, that should be number one, right? Thank you. Jesus for saving me. If you got that, the rest really doesn't matter, does it? Well, it matters a little bit because we have those other relationships, right? So if you go on, they get the, they're going to be faithful. They're going to be obedient and trust him uh, to act in his own time because this is going to take a long time for this. In, in when it comes to the, uh, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, we're talking over 700 years yet, so that's a long time to wait. They're not going to ignore his word, and you don't want to do that when you're going through tough times, nor will they turn to other gods for help. You know, you see that sometimes. It makes me sad, you know, where you'll see people who uh, have a suffering time and they turn to other things, you know, uh, mediums, seances, you know, other religions, you know. It's like, let's try anything to get what I want. And I think really the Christian life and the Jewish life before that was not so much about what you wanted, it's what you need. You know, none of these things are going to give you what you need. So that brings us to our verses for the day. Verse 1, chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for who, her who is in anguish. Talking about the Israel people, because they're in a tough time. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Nebulun, Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in the land of the deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government which shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time and forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Very poetic, isn't it? Uh, just cool. even comes off in, in English. I don't know if you've ever listened to Hebrew poetry, and I'll listen to it, but I don't understand all of it. Some of the words will come out, um, but you get kind of a feel for it. Uh, it's just really, really strong and powerful, and 85% of Isaiah is poetry. Uh, but we learn a lot from it. But in chapter 9 here, in verse 1 and 2, we get this idea of the former time and the latter time. In the Bible, there's different time periods. There's different eras. There's different ways of things beginning and ending and then something new starting. And the biggest one is former time 
latter time. You know, we get this time, you get, you get latter time, last days, that's very big in, in uh, the New Testament. Well, what does it mean? Well, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 1, which if, if you can think about the name of that book, Hebrews. It could be called Jewish folk. You know, it's, this is the, the idea of going back. If you want to know how the Old Testament ties into the New, read Hebrews. And that's what the whole book's about. How does Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? It's an easy read. Um, 13 chapters probably take you 28 minutes or so. And if you read it, you can text me. I like getting texts from people. Hey, I read it. Cool. Yeah. And it starts so cool, kind of poetic. Long ago, sounds like a kind of a story, almost like Toykin's writing this, you know. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We just read some of that. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. There's a lot in those two verses. Long ago, the prophets, the patriarchs, that came to us. We have that in the Old Covenant in our little uh, graphic novel Bibles. It's the first two volumes. That's bigger. And then the other one's the, the New Testament. So what's the big difference? Well, I, tell, I say this in Bible studies all the time. If you don't know the answer to a pastor's question at a children's sermon, what do you say? You always say Jesus. You've got about an 80% chance of being right. You know, although you can be wrong. That's happened before. So who was it that betrayed Jesus? Jesus! No, that's not, that was Judas. But a good try. You know, you always give him an A you know, for effort. But that's the difference. Jesus is the difference between the former time and the latter time. Everything changes at the cross. Everything before it points toward it. Everything after it looks back to it. The reason you can hope today and, and be thankful this week for having eternal life is because of Jesus. The reason Isaiah could still be part of the remnant and care about following Yahweh because he knew there was something coming that maybe he didn't even understand, but it was still Jesus. Uh, this is the key. So are we in the last days? Yep. Look at this. This was written, think, maybe 55 A.D., these last days. Why is it these last days, 20-some years after Jesus was crucified? Because he's been crucified. That's the key. Now we're in the last days. We've been in the last days for upwards of 2,000 years. Now we're in the last, last days? Well, I don't know. You'll have to figure that one out on your own. And if somebody says they know for sure and they got the time, I'd run the other way. Yeah, because Jesus said that we're not supposed to worry about that kind of stuff. It's kind of back to verse 17 of chapter 8 there in Isaiah. Let him, let him take care of the timing of the second coming. Um, are you ready? You know, think about your life. There's days I'm like, man, I'm ready. There's other days you're like, nah, I kind of like to watch the game first. I didn't want it to come before yesterday because Marks and I got to go to the Iowa game, and they won. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. And I got to drive a Tesla, which is another story. But anyway, but if he would have come before that, I th I'm sure it would have been okay. <laughs> but again, are you ready spiritually, right? Are you ready to... to to go if he came, you know. Um, one of these days, I'm, I hear this, you know, one of these days, you know, I'm going to get off Facebook Live and come. You know, and that's up to you. 
Thank you for being on Facebook Live. <laughs> one of these days I'm going to get to, you know, on one of those councils, you know. One of these days I'm going to maybe get in a life group. One of these days I'm going to be more intentional about uh, being a disciple of Jesus. One of these days, well, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Good day to start that, you know. Is that a little bit of a challenge? Yeah. If it annoys you, good. Sometimes you need to be annoyed. I'm really good at that if you get to know me. Yeah. We have to do this. It's what Jesus, you know, come to me, you know. The thing is, if you do that, it'll be good for you. Again, if you're trying to serve Jesus and you're bored, you're doing it wrong. I, I just don't get that. I, I, don't, I don't get that at all. You're doing it wrong. You're probably not serving the way God is probably not in the right ministry or not. And if you, you have something you want to start, let me know. We'll get her started. I think that's what we need to do. So verse 1, the northern portions of Israel were the first conquered by the foreign nations. And it talks about this land of Nephtali and Zebulun, which were the two tribes up there. But it's interesting, something or someone in Isaiah's future will come from the northern part of Israel, and it actually even gives us the region, Galilee which at this time, it just kind of started to get named, which is kind of interesting. Somebody, something from Galilee is coming. Huh, that's interesting. And the promise is that this area, is a great light is going to come. And we see this, and we don't think too much about it, but this is a term for God. We've, we missed this. That was a little bit of the children's sermon. You, we'll hit this when we see uh, Zechariah with his... Uh, uh, muteness, and after he finally is able to talk, can't get him to shut up, and he has this long song that he kind of sings, or poem that he writes, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Almost sounds like Isaiah 9, doesn't it? I wonder if he was looking at that when he wrote this. Ephesians 5, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You know, this is the light, and especially in John, and that's where we see it the most, this darkness and light metaphor. The idea in John's gospel is everybody who believes in Jesus is in the light, and everybody who does not is in the darkness. And we forget this, but some of you farmers probably know this. We were coming back from Iowa City last night, and there was some people out still harvesting, you know, because it's dry, and I know why you're doing it. That's a good idea. I'm sure all those guys, and I, I don't mean this to be flippant at all, I'm sure they're out there on Saturday night. Why? I bet most of those guys are probably worshiping right now, which is cool. I think it's kind of neat. They do that so they can get to worship, and then, you know, it's kind of neat. A lot of farmers do that. Very, very proud of that. That is cool. <laughs> I like the way they put that first. But... If you ever been out, if you live on a farm and you got all the lights off, how dark it is if it's like a, a new moon, maybe a little bit of a cloudy night. These people, light and darkness were very extreme. I mean, when you get that light out, you couldn't see anything. You ever, you ever been somewhere where you, you had that light off and you put your hand in front of you, you can't see? This is what these guys would see when they're doing this. You know, we, it's hard to, we've got ambient light everywhere, right? It's hard to see. In him, this word, was life, and the life was the light of men. Think about that. The light of Jesus is the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light because the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. You know, you wonder if John wasn't sitting there with Isaiah when he wrote this. Maybe someday we'll do a sermon on maybe how that worked. I'm not sure. Or you could just watch The Chosen. They'd give it a shot. I can't remember when the, in the first, second season there, they've got John sitting there talking to Mary. And he's trying to figure out how to start his gospel. It's just a really good thing. And he's like, he's like, well, Matthew is starting with the lineage for our people. You know, and he, he says, you know, and Mark's just going right into it, you know. Because Peter's kind of behind that, and he just doesn't want to stop. But he says, I want to go back farther, you know. Matthew's going back to Abraham. Maybe we should go back to, like, Noah or Enoch or Adam and Eve or even back to the beginning, and then the music starts. And remember John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And I don't know if it worked that way, but it worked some way, right? They figured this out somehow. So, yeah, that was a commercial message. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. So the former days, the Lord brought contempt to these people because they got exiled fairly quick, 722 B.C. Because of the sin and disobedience of the people for the most, not the remnant, but mostly the leadership and the people. But in the latter days, the days of Messiah on, this great light's going to come, this Great light is the Greek version of the Shekinah glory that we saw in the, in the book with them up on Mount Sinai and all that. That is what's implied here. And Matthew quotes these verses in Matthew 4. This is right after the temptation. He quotes these verses, the people who had walked in light and talking about Zebulun and Naphtali in the land of Galilee as being fulfilled in Jesus because guess where Jesus grew up? He grew up in Galilee, in a little town called Nazareth. We learned that, right? Because we usually, God ties will call him Jesus of Nazareth. You know? That's the way they did it back then, you know? It was either, either who your daddy was or where you're from, which is probably still kind of true now, right? It, well, there was no surnames back then, you know? Uh, Simon Barjona. Bar is the, the Hebrew term for son. So Simon Barjona, that's why we know that, well, this is Simon Barjona, this is Simon, not Simon Barbarney or whatever other dads are out there. Jesus of Nazareth. So we could do that. You can call me Brian of Denison. You know, yeah, that word. Brian Bet David. You can do however you want to do it. Bar David. Yeah, that's the way they talked about it. But again, this is back. The idea, well, what's the big deal? Well, these verses that are kind of indented, and, and if in your Bible you see indentation, that's the translators call this is poetry. Um, and most of Isaiah is that way. But these are all future hope to the people. All this bad stuff's going to get better. It's going to get even more better than they thought it was. And then finally, as we come down, it brings us to the two verses that we hear. This is so cool. I think now... Maybe some of the musical people. There was what was that guy's name? He was. Was there a Christian singer named Carmen? Yes. Okay. He did this song, and he reads this, and he does such a good job of it. And then he gets into the very good singer. Um, yeah. See, I remember. I know that's back in the '80s, back when all the good music was going on. You know, the Bee Gees and Ariel Speedwagon. You know, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, well, how deep is your love? <laughs> Where's Aaron at? Maybe we try that one. Yeah, 
I want to see if Aaron can sing in falsetto. Can you do that? <laughs> no, no. So I just got volunteered to sing in falsetto. No, I'm not going to try it either. Yeah, wear a little tighter pants. Maybe I can do it. I don't know. But uh, but you come back to this. It's just so poetic, and you see it in songs a lot. We sang a song with this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So, unto us, unto us, unto us. What's in the background? God with us. You know, Emmanuel, what we talked about last week, this is here. A divine gift of grace to the people, bringing the true light and joy and breaking the bondage of the people. That's always what it was. Now, yes, there was some idea in the Old Testament of breaking the bondage of foreign oppressors, but ultimately it was always about the heart. Uh, we always have to remember that. It was always about what is your connection to Yahweh. And remember, what happens when you mess up in the Old Covenant and you don't have a good connection with Yahweh? You have to sacrifice. You know, you have to bring a lamb, bring a dove, bring whatever it is. Is it just, you know, oh, kill something and God will be happy? Well, we find that in Leviticus, the life is in the blood. Something about the blood. The life-giving force. These God creatures being sacrificed so you could have access because your heart really wants to follow Yahweh. Well, that's not that much of a stretch to get to the cross there, is it? You know, it makes a lot of sense. Did you know the old covenant was a covenant of grace? Why put sacrificial system in there if we could keep it all perfectly? But where's your heart? Where's your heart? It's always where your heart is. Where's the joy? Where are you looking for the true light? Who are you putting your confidence in to break the bondage? That's the key. That's what Christmas is really all about, right? And the government, for most people, is a four-letter word, right? Of course, in America, we don't believe that, right? None of us say, well, the government is doing that, right? Because we, the people. Oh, no. I'm the government? I got some work to do, right? We do. I know it's representative. I'm not, you know. Uh, but, but again, the government's going to be on his What's the government? It has to do with dominion, rule. You know, what do we pray if we pray the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer? Your kingdom come. Where? On earth as it is in heaven, which will happen. Read, read Revelation 21. It's going to happen. There's going to be a new heaven. A new, but can we do that a little bit now? You know, that's why Second Timothy tells us clearly, pray for your leaders. Why was Isaiah coming here? Pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. Always do that. Because uh, the government's still on God's shoulders, but he uses people in different places, and we have... Uh, reasons to always do that. So the Son's going to rule the nations of the world. We see this in Revelation, a couple places. He will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have created authority from my Father. So he's, this is, the rule's going to happen. You're either going to be in God's kingdom or in not in God's kingdom, I guess is the way we could put it. And then in Revelation 19, you get the Son coming, this great warrior coming on the white horse, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. Kind of a cool chapter. It's a really quick battle. You can read through it. But this is the idea. The government is good. It's al he's already got the government in his hands, and I realize there's days I wonder why he's allowing certain governments to do what they do, but again, I guess he has a morally sufficient reason for doing that. And again, if you want to give some more thanks this week to God, 
thank him for a government that's given in being moral and following his way a shot. Not saying we're getting an A plus right now, but we're giving it a shot. A lot of governments aren't even trying. So I don't know. Maybe I'm too optimistic. I think we can turn this stuff around. You can think. But look, but is God not still sovereign? Did Jesus not die? Are we not forgiven? Well, let's see what we can do. I don't know. Try to work together. Boy up the world as we can. And then these four royal titles. I'm just going to go through these really quickly. Wonderful counselor, you know, ruling with wisdom, making wise plans for the people. That's what counselors do. It's actually the same word in Hebrew that's used for the Holy Spirit. Uh, the paraclete, the counselor, the comforter. Mighty God, a divine ancestor. This is the title used only for Yahweh. You see it in Deuteronomy 10. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, mighty and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Mighty God. He's saying this person coming from this line is going to be mighty God. So there's kind of some deity of this Messiah coming. Everlasting Father. People get tripped up by this, the Trinitarian, but this is just an attribute of a good king. It's a fatherly attribute. I mean, Jesus as the Son has a fatherly attribute. I mean, because we're his subjects, we're his children, if you want to say it that way. A benevolent protector showing care for the people. And then Prince of Peace. We get this one a lot, right? especially during Christmas. The government of Emmanuel will be purchased peace for the nations of the world. So that's the way he's, it's pretty cool that he's going to be doing these things. And then verse 7 clearly places the child as a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And we get these just quickly, the different covenants. You've got the covenant with Adam that, you know, I won't destroy you, and I'll, I, I, even though I'm kicking you out of the garden, so there's kind of an Adamic covenant. There's a Noahic covenant that comes, I won't destroy the world again, right? That way. Uh, eventually you got the Abrahamic covenant, which is very big in the Jewish people. Then you get the Mosaic covenant, which has the law and the sacrifices. And then you get the Davidic covenant that says somebody's going to come and fulfill this, and they call that the Messiah, or the Greek term is Christ. So that's all the, co and here's that covenant, this Messianic covenant. He's talking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. And I was trying to talk about Solomon here at this point. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. That's what Solomon did. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be my son. Everlasting father. That's where that comes from. When he commits iniquity, Solomon, I will discipline him with the rod of men. And Solomon got wisdom but didn't always use it. With the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be established, sure, forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, an everlasting kingdom. And we find out from the New Testament that kingdom comes in Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. So the, so the reign of the sons for eternity. When you die, if you're a believer, you go to heaven, and there's King Jesus. When he comes back again, we saw kind of he's going to do some white horsey stuff and eventually get it all done, and there'll be King Jesus. And it's going to be a really, really good country because there'll be no sin and no evil. And you think about the relationships you have now being pretty cool, some of them. 
Think about your most important relationships. Take sin out of it. It's going to be really good. It's going to be, you should be hopeful for that. So this promise of grace from Yahweh through his child was what Isaiah and the believing remnant of his day waited for and pointed toward, and they had no idea when it was going to come. They really didn't know. It was, you know, obviously, maybe they knew it wasn't in their lifetime. I don't know. But this, for us, is who we are called to live for and always point back to. Because we're, Isaiah's back here, here's the cross. We're up here, here's the cross. We still have to have fullness of time, as Galatians said. The Messiah, Jesus, has ushered in his kingdom through his coming, teaching, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and eventually, in our future, creating a new heaven and a new earth, glorifying our bodies, will there always be righteousness, and everybody gets a Tesla. No, I don't know. Get whatever you want. What kind of car do you want? I don't care. Maybe you want a horse, and that might be where you want to go. It's up to you. Um, I'm sure the horses will really be nice in heaven. But this is what we're looking for. You know, people call this pie-in-the-sky theology. Well, you know what? I think there's a pie, and it's not rhubarb, for gosh sakes. It's good pie. It's like apple or pecan or blueberry. I digress. I mean, it's, it's, it's there, right? This is real. We believe this is real. We really, like Isaiah, believe in a, the future hope. That's always focused on that cross and the one who hung on it. That's what Christmas is all about. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you. We are thankful to you this Thanksgiving season for giving us everything that we need. And most of that, all, all of that main thing comes in your son. Thank you for accomplishing this for us, giving us what we need. May we just humbly accept it. As we wear our shirts and try to get to know each other better in this church, may we always remember that the hurting lost in darkness are just on our doorstep. May we always make a case, make a defense for our faith, and tell them why we believe and we have hope in you now and forever. Amen.